0: If you need uh, the passage, um, it's printed for you in the bulletin. This is God's Word. The grass withers, the flower fades, the Word of God endures forever and ever. Hear the Word of God. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your gloom to joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God shall endure forever and ever. I'll do just a little housekeeping. I'd like for you to turn back to the beginning of your bulletin, That the reflection. I want you to read that out loud. When I cue you in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you, I'm actually going to end the sermon doing this so you'll know it's over, right? Uh, it's over, it's over. Uh, but so when you hear that cue, when, you, when I ask you, who is Jesus Christ? I want you to read, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love, humbling himself, clothing himself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. Notice I changed the itself to himself. We can talk about that later. John Andrew Murray's an awesome theologian. But probably, if you can remember it like that, substitute himself for itself. But anyway, thank you for listening to that. And um, so you are prepared. You got your bulletin ready? You know, I'm the band director. I can cue you. You're supposed to come in. Right? So be ready. Be on your toes. And um, here we go. Here, uh, I want to ask you a question as we start. When's the last time you've been to the doctor? some of you are laughing, just like me, right? It's, um, you know, it's a way of life. Everybody's been to the doctor. We've all been to the doctor. And uh, unfortunately, the older you get, uh, you get your Medicare card, especially, you know, it becomes your social outlet, right? You just, uh, you're just showing up. Hey, you meet all these friends. How you doing? You, you start writing down the names of all these people. And uh, so it's just this way of life. Well, tomorrow, and forgive the um, uh, personal medical analogy is the best I can do. Um, but tomorrow I'm going to see my endocrino- endocrinologist and um, yeah, I'm a diabetic and um, fortunately I'm still in the stage 2. Um, but uh, every 6 months I have the A1C test. You ever had that? Um, some of you have had it and if you don't know what that means it's a reading that gives you your average blood sugars. I don't know how, how does it know how to do this? You know How does it know? But it gives you your average blood sugars over the past 3 months. And a normal person's uh, A1C range is sometimes somewhere between three and five. Um, excuse me, three and four. Three and four. Uh, five is kind of pushing it. But if you're diabetic, um, if you get in the sixes, it's like yes. You know, you're cooking. It's like you just won the World Series, and my, uh, so I'm getting that test tomorrow, and I'm kind of anxious about it. You know, just to, oh, how how'd I do? I feel pretty good. This medicine I'm taking, so I'm thinking it's going to be good. But anyway, my my doctor, Doctor Robles, she's a sweet Hispanic lady, and um, the last time that I had that done and heard the results, you know, you put they, they take your blood, put the thing in the machine, and it, here's the paper, and I look at it, and uh, and she said, Mister Richard. I am so proud of you. It's like, thank you, Dr. Robles. I'm not eating as many french fries, you know. I don't eat quite as much ice cream as I used to. Certainly not drinking Cokes. I'm drinking Diet Cokes. But, yeah, you know, she's so positive And she's encouraging me to, to fight the fight of, um, of the battle with diabetes. But anyway, she's a sweet woman. I'm looking forward to seeing what that score will be. Well, what does that have to do with this? Well, it's a medical analogy. The book of James is this letter um, written to... Um, brand new churches, I mean these are brand new churches because this letter was written 10 years after the resurrection. It's the first book written in the New Testament and um, you know James talks about elders in the last chapter. So it's an established church but this was a circular letter, it would go to more than one church and so, that, uh, and so forth. But again, it's, it's brand new and um, and this is what I want to point out to you. All the letters in the New Testament, letters to churches, they have one thing in common. Well, they're all about the gospel, certainly. But they all address the problem of competitive pride. Every one of them. Paul addresses competitive pride in, in all of his letters. Every one of them. John addresses competitive pride. And here is James In the first letter to the church addressing this deadly sin in the lives of Christians among you, right? And competitive pride is the root sin. And all of us struggle with competitive pride. We still do, do we not? All of us. And today we're going to have an office visit with Dr. James and we're going to talk about the symptoms of competitive pride. We're going to talk about, um, as you go to the doctor, we're going to talk about that initial diagnosis that we get um, and the root cause after testing. And finally, we're going to talk about the cure, are you ready, for competitive pride. And here we go. Are you ready to read? What is the cure? Who is Jesus Christ? Let me stop, hold on. You're not ready? Are y'all ready? Who is Jesus Christ? Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature, the eternal love, humbling himself, clothing himself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve. And save us. Jesus Christ loved you. And gave himself for you. He lives in you. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. And he alone is the answer to our competitive pride. Because he is the great physician of our souls. Jesus Christ is the gospel. Embodied. The one person with two natures. The God man. He is the answer. To competitive pride. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you love us, have loved us before the foundation of the world. Thank you that you have shown your grace to us by sending your Son, who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, along with the Father, have sent the Holy Spirit to enliven our hearts to the Word of God, whereby um, we may know that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We commit this time to you. Thank you for worship today. Thank you for all that you've already said to us through hymns and creeds and and just through prayers. And just thank you for renewing our lives as we come before you in worship. And we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You're probably wondering, why is he down there? Because I don't have my water. I'm sorry. And I have a very dry situation. What Did I put my water up there? Did I lose it? Okay. Thank you, son. <laughs> Yep, this yep, this got a Medicare card. Can't remember where your water is. So, all right, here we go. Thank you for your patience. That means you're gonna preach a long time. That's when you take your watch out. Okay, so here's the first. Here's your first point. First question: What are the symptoms of competitive pride? What are the symptoms? You're at the doctor. Dr. James, Dr. James tells us that the major symptoms are quarreling and fighting. Pretty straight ahead. Do your children fight and fuss? Do your grandchildren fight and fuss? What does that look like? What does it sound like? It looks and sounds ugly, doesn't it? It's ugly, right? And when your kids tie up with one another, you get agitated, don't you? Right? That ever happened to you? You get frustrated. You get angry. And you get angry that they are angry and that they are quarreling. Right? it's this weird thing right? Uh, and you really get angry because they have drug you into their drama ever experienced that it happen, does that happen at work too Right? it's what I call drama drag right? you, you have drugged me into your drama I'm so glad Jesus dove into our drama aren't you I mean Without, without him, we are without hope in this fallen world. So, what's your normal response other than just being agitated to being drugged into the drama, all that fussing and arguing? How do you fix it? How do you fix it? Right? That's what I want to do. Stop! Stop it! Just stop! And that works. Uh, you can threaten your kids, right? That works. You can pinch them on the shoulder or whatever. Um, and you can stop it because you're bigger than them, right? But that doesn't really get to the heart of the issue of, of their problem. Now, now, if you want to experience the righteousness and the peace, if you want them to eventually with your kids right eventually experience the righteousness peace and joy of god's kingdom you have to do some doctoring you have to drag your kids into the heart clinic right there in your house you have to help them because of their symptoms all that crawling and all that fighting and um and unfortunately you do not get paid 75 dollars an hour for them to visit your clinic right can you you know i I think it's you know when i write my parenting book one of the chapters is going to be you know when the kid messes up you need to have this little room it's time out we do that but they sit in the chair and then you have a little window where they come up and they do their copay, right (laughs) and then (laughs) and <laughs> You you know, just do it like they're at the doctor's office, right? And you just kind of take the tension out of it. But, um, because we need to address the heart, right? We need to be physicians of the heart, right? Uh, but you have to address their hearts. When you see the symptoms, when you see quarrelling and fighting, uh, like any good doctor, a good doctor, you step in there to help. And so here's what a good doctor does when you go to his clinic, right? What do you do when you go to the doctor? You know, you've been there. You tell him or her your symptoms they look you over Right, they see the symptoms sometimes and, they, and then their, their wheels are turning and then they ask themselves the question why is my patient having these symptoms why is my patient suffering from blank in other words they, they form this initial diagnosis right It's called the practice of medicine. That's one of the first steps. They, they in their brain, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they have an idea. This is probably it. Blah blah blah, but it may not be. And and here, right off the bat, at the end of verse one, James gives us this initial diagnosis of the problem of competitive pride, and he starts off with a question. But then he immediately gives us an answer. In other words, it's a statement. Um, verse one: What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And here's the question: Is it not this? that your passions are at war with you, within you. And so just from a general initial observation of the situation, James identifies the problem, and he says this. He says, we have competitive pride. This is his best guess. I know this is the word of God. It's not a guess. Um, you know, understand the analogy. But we have competitive pride because our passions are at war within us. The word for passion in the original is the word that we get hedonism from. I think we make it we translate it as hedonism into English, and a hedonist is a person who makes their own pleasure the priority of their lives. I'm looking around. Can't look at everybody. I don't have time to do that. But I, I need to put that mirror right here. Okay. Not, if I'm looking at you, I'm not, not going after you. Because we're all, this is all Adamness. This isn't all of us, right? But a hedonist makes their own pleasure the priority of their life. A hedonist always insists on doing things my way. And so, James, again, just by the power of observation and lots of experience as a pastor, says we fight and we quarrel because. At heart, all of us are hedonists. That's a sad diagnosis, isn't it? And if you're visiting today, we got some, have a PCA pastor, Luke, from South Dakota, and his wife Michelle glad that you're here we have other visitors here today and you're probably thinking well um maybe you're not maybe you aren't thank you very much pastor for telling me that i'm a hedonist right that's the good news that i was just waiting to hear i need some encouragement here there's going to be encouragement here there's no better than jesus christ and we will we will go to jesus right and, and, by, and i'm sorry to tell you that at heart that we're all hedonists, that you're a hedonist i'm sorry to tell you that Um, But I'm reminding myself of this as a truth as well. But that's who all of us are as descendants of Adam. That is how bad the disease is. It's what sin does. It's a power. Sin entered the world through a man and death through sin. That mysterious power that works through the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's terrible. But it's mysterious how that word has disappeared from our vocabularies and especially the vocabulary of our culture. The Westminster Shorter Catechism has has this great description of just how bad the power of sin is in our lives. This is spot on. What is the sinfulness of our fallen condition? The sinfulness of our fallen condition is twofold. First, in what is commonly called original sin, is the guilt of Adam's first sin with its lack of original righteousness. And here's the the stick and the corruption of his whole nature, mind, will, and emotions. Second are all the specific acts of disobedience that flow out of original sin. You know, the sinful nature that we have is inherited from Adam and the, and the, the, the older you get the more you go to the doctor the more you're aware man I'm falling apart this is bad right but the older you get spiritually in the Lord the more you realize this Adam stuff this sinful nature it's really bad and I think it's a great grace that younger people you know when I I didn't realize how sinful I was when I was 40 or 30 that's grace, right? It keeps you moving along. If you, you don't want to be, become this, oh my goodness! And God doesn't want us to walk around with our heads down. With the, you know, to, that's not what He wants us to do. There's righteousness, peace, and joy in the in the Holy Spirit. The gospel leads us to that. But but it is real. It's something we have to deal with. That's what James is dealing um, with. And, and have you seen any specific acts of the disobedience in your own life recently? <laughs> have you seen any sins showing up? Well, yeah, if you're a sinner, you can say yes, 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 yes. Have you sinned today? On the way to church with the kids in the car, <laughs> uh, and I say this, and somebody will probably throw something at me for saying this, but that's why I went into ministry. So I wouldn't have to ride to church with the kids, right? No, it's, it's not, you, you don't. You don't, and you don't have to be in the nursery. I, somebody got really mad at me for saying that um, one time. I, I'm just kidding. Right? I believe the gospel. Right? And you, we can have fun with this stuff because God has conquered sin and death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not to just be flippant about Nobody said be flippant about sin. Nobody said that. But have you demanded your own way? stare at Catherine not look at anybody else Okay. Right. is your primary goal your pleasure mm. does it always have to be done your way that's something that wow I've got to ask myself that question and, and here's the hardest one Qu- to quote Curly from City Slickers day ain't over yet You know, they ask him, have you killed anybody? The day ain't over yet, right? Have you killed anybody in your heart recently? You know, that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Man, I'm going to tell you, and I'm being as serious as I can, I've killed my wife more than I want to tell you. She's killed me a few times in 40 years too. And the good news is that we're like cats with way more than nine lives. (laughs) Praise God. And in Christ, we are raised to new life and, and we forgive each other. That's the most important thing you can do in a marriage. That's the greatest expression of love is forgiving your spouse or your friend. It's beautiful. I've offended some of you in here and you've forgiven me. You love me. Uh, kill some of you, but you've forgiven, because you've been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And you know how serious this problem of sin is. You know, a lot of times a doctor can determine what's wrong with you just by looking at you and asking questions, but that's what James does here, but to be sure of the diagnosis, what does a good doctor do? He always asks more questions, and they run more tests, and they want to find the root of the problem. They want to make sure they've got it. And we're talking about being a hedonist here. Uh, And if you're talking about being a hedonist and talking about the sinful nature, it's important to get to the bottom of what makes a hedonist a hedonist. And so James tells us in verse 2, what makes a hedonist a hedonist. Look there with me. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And here's our old friend Epithumia. If you've been around here uh, for a while, you've, you've heard that word. It's an important word in the Bible. You shall not covet. The Greek translation of that in the Old Testament is you shall not epithumia coveting there's all idolatry all those words are, are tied together um and the word for desire is the word thumia and when you put epi on the front of it it just intensifies the word so you we probably wouldn't it be great if we had the epithumia study bible you know we talked about this before um we should probably translate that word as over desire over desire Because epithumia means to over-desire something. And when we talk about this word, and again, it's all over the Bible. It's very important to help you understand the sinfulness of our fallen condition. Um, We always say this. We qualify it about our great God. God wired us with desires. He wronged us. He wired us um, with these beautiful desires. And there's nothing wrong with our desires. There's nothing wrong with desiring material things. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with good food and good drink. Nothing wrong with sex. All of those are great gifts from God. Nothing wrong with the approval of other people. That is important. All of us need encouragement. All of us need that. And support. Some of you are really, really good at doing that. Nothing wrong with your kids. Nothing wrong with your grandkids. Nothing wrong with your job. It's a gift. Nothing wrong with your talents. You know, God has given us all these great gifts to enjoy in life. But when you over-desire any good gift, it becomes an idol. Every time. When any good gift becomes an ultimate thing, an ultimate thing in your life it becomes an idol and it gets worse ok I'm an idolater this is my idol this is, this is the bad part about this is the scariest part about sin are you listening we become like we reflect the image of what we love We become like what we worship. We bear the image of what we worship. Go think about that. Go think about it. What do you look like? You know, there are periods in our time, there's there's periods in our day, there's periods in our week when we are just ugly to look at. We can act ugly. My mother used to say don't be an ugly pugly trying to be sweet about it but she was just saying don't be ugly don't be ugly and James has very figurative language to describe that ugliness that over desiring hedonistic heart that we inherit from Adam an over desiring sinful heart like Adam's over desiring sinful heart looks like this it's a murdering heart We've talked about this already. Jesus said when you're angry with somebody, it's like killing them. An overdesiring sinful heart like Adam's over sinful heart is an empty heart. It's empty. And you're just running around trying to to fill up your heart because it's empty. Uh, And you ask God to to answer your prayers, uh, but your prayers are all about you. They're all about you. So your pleasures can be fulfilled. That's what it says right there. And God will not answer those prayers. And see, Claire Ferguson in his commentary says this. It's, boy, we'll talk about a play on words. He says when we pray like that, when we pray about our own desires rather than God's will be done and His kingdom coming and, and making that the priority of our lives, when we pray like that, then we P-R-E-Y on God like an animal. Trying to devour God to give him, give us what we want. An overdesiring, sinful heart, like Adam's heart, is also an adulterous heart. Wow, that really stings, doesn't it? Lack of loyalty to our bridegroom Jesus Christ. And finally, an over-desiring sinful heart, over-desiring sinful heart like Adam's, is a friend of the world and it is God's enemy. He's just showing us how bad it is. In Hebraic fashion, he's, you know, he's a Jewish man who knew the Old Testament scriptures which are very illustrative of many, many things. He's trying to get you and me to see Exactly what an over-desiring sinful heart is like. And again, it's ugly, and our overdesign always leads to hedonism. And without God's grace, an unchecked hedonist, what happens? Becomes what we call a narcissist. Right? And nobody wants to be around a narcissist. we've all been around narcissistic people who suffer from the same problems that we do the same sin that is in us but for whatever reason just god in his grace he has checked that hedonistic tendency in me and in you i hope he has keep you from going down that path and so when you read this passage well, all you could do is say wow right right james is so pointed isn't he he's so direct but he is a very good physician of the heart not just because he can diagnose it but because he offers the cure and that's what we're about to talk, talk about. What's the medicine for all this pain and the over-desiring that is in you and me that, that sometimes causes you and me to act, act like a hedonist? What is it? It's the gospel of God. According to Dr. James found in verses 5 to 6. Look there with me. Beautiful verses as is all of the scripture. But this is especially beautiful. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Hear this. But he Gives more grace. Wow! Dude, this is an amazing description. Who, who is God? This is an amazing description of God's heart. It is such good news. You know, God knows every hedonistic, every overdesign sin in my heart, and every hedonistic, every over-design sin in your heart. But He still yearns for us he still wants us he he, deeply he he wants our friendship really yes yes that's the the great news of the gospels god loves us that much yeah, you know, Paul uses this word for yearning uh, in verse five, and in his letters, uh, and he uh, he describes his desire to be with his friends. He's been separated from the Philippians. Do you remember that? And he longs to be with them. He longs to be with them. Right? He says the same thing about the Corinthians. Really, the Corinthians. I can say Philippians, but not you know. Huh? boy what a, what a how his heart matured in the gospel wow and he also uses that word to talk about the longing that all of us will eventually have. Because some of you really don't have it like the rest of us. And some of you have it more than me. I'm getting it more and more. It's just like I'm, you know, getting, I'm starting to say, wow, man, I'm so glad that Jesus came to save me from this sinful, fallen condition. I'm getting that more than I'm older. I should be. Uh, but it's, I also long for a resurrected body like Jesus Christ. I'm longing for that. I'm learning to I really am. So I can get out there with Mike Pruitt on the golf course and just just wear him out. He's probably gonna beat me. He's way more way more competitive than I am. He just But I long for that. But here's the point. That word longing for longing is very powerful in the Bible, it's very, very powerful. Have you ever been homesick? Ever missed your wife or your husband or your kids or your grandkids or your dog? You now I'm excited about going to columbia next month for a week meeting all these south american missionaries with world reach i'm very very excited about going to kenya um, first of september teaching this class on how christ is in all the scriptures i'm, I'm pumped and i um, looking forward to your help with that um, but when i get over there in the evening man it is hard being away from Catherine. it's hard i'm a homebody and I'm not, you know, pulled out the five lens. but I, just please—that's something you can pray for me about. It's this hard to be away. I long to be with her. Long to be with my friends, because when you're away from your loved ones, there's that yearning in your soul, and it grinds in your heart. But here's the point: if knowing that God yearns for you. that He still feels that way about you, even when, and me, when we act like hedonists, that is some incredible grace. It's incredible. And that's the grace james is talking about so what do you do in response to to god yearning uh for you his yearning grace that should have been you know i never named the sermons the right thing because i name them when we get the bulletin in it always changes over the next couple of days but the the sermon should be called yearning grace talking about the lord jesus christ talking about god the father talking about the holy spirit the one god in three persons What do you do in response? Well, His grace humbles us, doesn't it? And and when we are humbled, we draw near to God, and we come and we confess that we have yearned for the good things that He has given us more than we have yearned for Him. We confess our sins, and, and we confess that we are double-minded. We are strugglers. We're strugglers. And that's a pretty negative phrase. Would you not agree with that? Double-minded? You're double-minded? I'm double-minded. There's just bad news to hear that. But you know what? There's also good news in that description good news Uh, James is saying the same thing Paul points out to us in Romans 7 we are in Christ, we are forever united to Jesus Christ but at the same time we are of Adam, we are in that tension we are one person drawn to two different humanities at the same time, there's tension here tension, one day the tension will all be gone I will never struggle with sin again when I die, or Jesus comes again, I will have a glorified body like His. The tension, the rest will be here. We will rest in Christ forever and ever in that new body, in that with that new heart that never sins again. But hear this, hear this, uh, and this is something that um, your future senior pastor Grant Carroll said. And you know, I write important things down. And we talk about the scriptures together. And he pointed this out as we spoke about this passage. He said, if you're double-minded, it means that God has given His grace to you. Really? Really? If you weren't born again into this glorious new humanity, if you, did not, if you were not united to Jesus Christ, if you did not hold, have the Holy Spirit living in you, you would not be aware of your sin. You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be convicted of your sin. You wouldn't be aware that, oh, I really am acting like a hedonist, right? <laughs> so yes, recognize your adamness. Recognize the sinfulness of our fallen condition. You and I are sick sinners. In need of help, weep over your sins, but at the same time, remember that by God's grace, you are and forever will be united to His Son. And that is the reason that you experience and know that God yearns for you. It's because He has united your heart to the heart of Jesus Christ, that glorious and beautiful heart of Christ. He is your God, and you are His treasured possession. He's written His law on your heart. And that means, yes, you're learning to to reflect the image of Christ more and more into the world. We talk about that a lot. He is conforming you into the image of Christ. You are learning to love His law more and more and more. It's different for every Christian. Everybody's on a different track and different pace of learning that. God treats us the way we need to be treated. He, He pushes us along exactly at the right pace. But God also, when he writes his law on your heart, he uses that, as Paul says, the purpose of the law is to lead you to Christ. And in this age, God still leads you to Christ through his law. And he still forgives his children when we act like hedonists. And what does God say when you weep over your sins, when you repent of your sins, when you you say, yes, I am double-minded, but you remember the good part of the double-mindedness? What does he do? He he draws near to you and he says the same thing that Dr. Robles says to me and I hope she's going to say to me tomorrow. Richard, I am so proud of you. what God says to you. God says, I'm so proud of you because you've come to me for help. I am the great physician. You've drawn near to me in faith. You want to hear what I have to say to you. And what does God always say to you when you come in repentance in faith? What does He always say? Trust again in my Son. Trust again in Jesus. He will never cast you out. He is your husband. He yearns for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will in no way cast you out. He will protect you from the devil. He is your friend who laid down his life for his friends. You are his friend. You are his brother. You are his sister. He's not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. He has great passion for you. He is proud of you. That's the gospel of grace. Who is Jesus Christ? Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. The eternal love humbling Himself. Clothing Himself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. Jesus has great passion for you. He has a great love for you. He invites you again to this table. Come and enjoy his heart for you. Amen.